Chapter Nine of A Woman of Yesterday. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Woman of Yesterday by Caroline Atwater Mason. Chapter Nine. When the soul growing clearer sees God no nearer, when the soul mounting higher to god comes no nigher but the arch-fiend pride mounts at her side and when she fain would soar makes idols to adore changing the pure emotion of her high devotion to a skin-deep sense of her own eloquence strong to deceive strong to enslave save oh save matthew arnold anna was the first to speak when she rose and faced the little audience made up of fashionable women professional men and a sprinkling of the more clearly defined religious workers she did not feel the coldness underlying their courteous attention the titian beauty fixed upon her eyes full of unconsciously patronizing kindness and mrs ingram smiled at her with sympathetic encouragement but they might have spared themselves the effort anna did not perceive or consider these things she was not thinking of them at all nor of herself the peculiar twofold consecration which rested upon her spirit in regard to her missionary vocation as a call to fulfil at once the divine will and the will of her father was so profound and so solemn as to remove her from personal and passing cares she would not herself have chosen to appear before these people and to speak to them of her supreme interest but to do so had been laid upon her as duty and anna's conception of duty by reason of the tremendously developed conscience which the worldly wise women had discerned in her was of something to be done she did this duty with the simple directness of a soldier under command she stood erect and motionless with no nervous working of hands or trembling of lips and spoke in a clear low voice in which alone by reason of a peculiar vibrant pathos the profound undeclared passion of her nature was suggested her critics of the early evening had been right in finding her destitute of manner there was no slightest evidence as she spoke of the orator's instinct the magnetism of kindling eye and changing expression of the conciliation and subtle flattery of her hearers neither had she fervid personal raptures nor spiritual triumphs to communicate of the picturesque and pathetic elements of the situation she made no use whatever she had simply an absolute dominating conviction that the heathen were lost that they could only be saved by the knowledge of christ that this knowledge must be conveyed to them by the disciples of christ at his command and that she anna mallison was humbly grateful that she was permitted to devote herself to a service so obviously necessary of these things she spoke of the sacred sense of living out her father's disappointed life she naturally could not speak 
it was not the speech which mrs ingram and her guests had expected they had looked to have their sympathies aroused by a pathetic recital of sacrifice and exalted self-devotion anna on the contrary was unconscious of sacrifice and felt herself simply grateful for the privilege of carrying out her innermost desires the people who heard her felt that to give up the world was a mighty thing anna did not yet know what the world was to their anticipation she had been a figure almost as romantic and moving as a young novitiate about to take conventual vows to herself she was an enlisted soldier who has received marching orders and whose heart exults soberly since there are ties which may be broken and death perhaps awaiting but even so exults with joyful response thus to most of those who heard her anna's little speech was a distinct disappointment the very loftiness of her conception of her calling made it featureless and robbed it of adaptation to easy emotional effect the ladies who had discussed her before her speech found after it that it was after all exactly what might have been expected altogether of a piece with the austerity of her figure and her sad colourless face no warmth no emotion just the hard puritan conscience at its hardest there were two or three only who felt the spiritual elevation belonging to the girl and to what she said and the underlying pathos of her high restraint as too great to put into the conventional phrases of sympathy and praise and so kept silence there was a brief pause after anna returned to her seat during which people stirred and spoke in low tones and the beaded lady leaned over and thanked anna for her charming little talk then mrs westervelt the guest from boston came forward and began speaking with a winning smile a gentle soothing voice and an affectionate reverence to the dear sweet young sister she had the ease and flexibility of the practised public speaker the winning and dimpled smile with which she won the company at the start was in frequent use and she made constant motions with a pair of very white hands she was quietly dressed and yet after the straightness of anna's poor best gown her attire had its own air of handsome comfort the perfect command of her voice and of herself established instantaneously a rapport with her audience of which anna in her inexperience had never dreamed her beloved mrs ingram she said had asked her to tell the dear friends of some wonderful answers to prayer which she had recently experienced but before doing this she craved the privilege of reading a few verses of scripture she then read certain passages from the prophecy of zechariah detached from one another taken entirely from their historic setting but fitted together with some care the speaker explained that she had in her earlier christian life found some difficulty in interpreting this rather obscure passage but in the new life of complete sanctification into which it had been her glorious privilege to enter 
she had come to see all scripture by a new and marvellous light no longer did she trust to the dry and formal explanations of scholars many of whom it was but too well known had never had the deep things of god revealed to them and who had been led into many errors by their pride of learning all that kind of study was past for her for the dear lord himself showed her when she lifted her heart to him just what he meant in his blessed word this had been her experience in regard to the passage just read to the natural mind there were difficulties in it but just below the surface was the great precious truth which god would have all his children receive it had been given her that when she came to the beautiful home of mrs ingram and should be called upon to speak to these friends she must bring them this particular passage but it had looked dark to her and she was in doubt how to interpret it but as she had been in the cars coming up from boston she had said now lord those dear friends in burlington will want to know just what you meant by that sweet portion of your word and i do not feel that i can tell them unless you enlighten me what is it that is intended by the two staves in the hand of the prophet one called beauty and one called bands then the lord had sweetly spoken in the secret place of her heart as distinctly as if with an audible voice my child the old life of formalism of coldness and of worldly pleasure in which many christians live is the staff called bands the higher life the life of answered prayer the life of perfect sanctification and fullness of blessing is beauty take this message to my dear children in burlington oh how simple oh how sweet who would weary heart and brain over the interpretations of rationalistic german commentators when we could thus have the direct interpretation of his own word by the lord himself thus mrs westervelt proceeded at some length on this line and then with tearful eyes and an added intensity of the personal element she rehearsed the answers to prayer which her friend mrs ingram had rightly called wonderful thus in carrying on the work of preaching perfect sanctification in boston a room had been needed for meetings two or three of the little band had prayed and within a week they had had a most suitable room offered them by a precious sister but it was unfurnished the details of securing the equipment of this room were now described each piece of furniture the speaker declared had been directly given in answer to special prayer and by a marvellous interposition if any natural means had been at work by which persons in sympathy with their efforts were led to supply their obvious needs these were not mentioned plainly it was mrs westervelt's conception of a perfect relation to god that the one sustaining it should receive constant miraculous testimony of the divine favor the privilege of attaining this condition was presented with fervid emphasis it was the high and perfect life who would live on the old plain when this 
was what god had for them oh how beautiful it was to trust why should we ever doubt when we were so plainly told that whatsoever we ask we shall receive as mrs westervelt went on many of her hearers were moved to tears and a continuous response of sympathetic looks and subdued exclamations followed her recital of her surprising experiences the wealthy women present felt that this was certainly a fine thing for those who could not get what they wanted by ordinary business methods but were perhaps secretly glad that they were not themselves called upon to test their relation to god quite so pointedly the poorer and humbler guests wept profusely thinking how long they had stumbled on in the dull and inferior practice of working painfully for many needed things which might all have been miraculously given them if they had only been favorites of god like mrs westervelt or as she would have said had only just stepped out into the fullness anna mallison sat and listened in unspeakable astonishment this was as absolutely new a gospel to her as the gospel of christ to a disciple of buddha it was her first contact with sentimental religion the god of her father had been the immutable and eternal creator the high and holy one inhabiting eternity the judge of all the earth through the incarnation the just anger of this holy being toward sinful men had been appeased but although in christ there had been found access to god and an intercessor never had it entered into the heart of samuel mallison or those whom he led to regard themselves as occupying a position other than of deepest humility self-distrust awe and reverence mrs westervelt's phraseology was almost like a foreign tongue to anna the constant use of terms of familiar endearment in speaking of the almighty the application of affectionate and flattering adjectives on all sides the sense of a peculiar and intimate relation established between herself and god and the free and easy conversational in fact rather colloquial style in which she held herself privileged to communicate with him were almost amazing to her and beneath all these superficial marks of a new cult lay the deeper sense of the inherent disparity religion to anna had been it has been said earlier a system of prohibitions of self-denials of self-abasement with only at rare intervals the illumination of a profound sense of the love of god here was a religion which held up a species of luxurious spiritual enjoyment of unrestrained freedom in approaching god of an indubitable sense of being personally on the best of terms with him as the privilege of all true believers the conception of prayer which mrs westervelt had demonstrated was not less surprising to anna she knew that there were wide and sweeping scriptural promises with regard to prayer but she had always felt a deep mystery attaching itself to them for herself she had never ventured to intrude 
her temporal gratifications and designs upon the attention of her god but had rather felt a sober silence regarding these things to best befit a sinful creature coming before a holy creator half revolting but half smitten with compunction the thought now flashed through her mind that if she had only prayed after this new sort her father might have received the oranges for which he had sorely longed in the months before his death this luxury was not to be obtained in Haran, and had therefore been patiently foregone heaven and burlington having seemed equally inaccessible at the time mrs westervelt sat down and the meeting broke up a swarm of enthusiastic tearful women rushing to surround her and pour out their effusive appreciation of her wonderful address anna stood bewildered and alone doubting within herself had it all been the highest consecration as it undoubtedly desired to be or had it been the highest presumption the old temptation of spiritual pride assuming a new guise two clergymen of the city who had been attentive listeners during the whole evening not being moved to pour out their admiration upon either speaker quietly strayed across the hall into mrs ingram's library the senator himself was absent well nichols said dr harvey the older man who had a shrewd kindly smooth-shaven face what do you think of that for old testament exegesis it was pretty stiff to have the responsibility for it given to the lord returned his friend i almost felt like interrupting her to say that with all due respect the lord never told her any such thing her interpretation being monstrously untrue it was awful simply awful said the other with slow emphasis such fantastic tricks before high heaven might make men as well as angels weep and then her familiarity with the lord nichols why man she positively patronized the almighty it is true and yet do you know doctor that woman has some extraordinary elements for success in such work if she hadn't she would be of no importance my dear fellow she has a fine homiletic instinct that is just where the danger lies but after all she represents only one danger there are others she is simply the modern mystic a kind of latter-day diluted madame guion too much of the thing is a trifle nauseous perhaps but it represents the revolt of devout souls in every age from formalism and is inevitably in excess like all revolt doubtless there will be such revolt world without end and it will have its uses it was fairly pathetic to see how eagerly those women rushed forward to receive her evidently that's the message they are pining for they don't go for us that way doctor no and they didn't for that first speaker malison's daughter i knew him poor man what a mystic he might have made if he had let himself go this girl is much like him the old new england type 
religion with all color and sentiment clean purged out of it cold as ice chase as snow the antipodes of the guion westervelt danger talk of holiness poor malison he was the holiest man i ever knew and in this life the least rewarded and the old clergyman shook his head with a mournful smile i fancied when i heard her speak although i had no idea who she was that this daughter of his had not exactly revelled in the luxury of religion no but i tell you nichols she is none the worse for that at her age there is a hardihood an unconscious sturdy fortitude in that earlier type which we mightily need in the world to-day to me that girl was positively beautiful because notice what i say nichols she is absolutely true very likely yes but when you have thought it over tell me some day how many men and women you know of whom you can say that if you know one you will do well dr harvey as he said these words rose to leave the library but stopped and stood as there appeared at that moment at the hall door the figure of a man who was apparently passing through the hall so silent and so sudden was his coming and so singular his aspect that the younger of the two men perceiving him started violently in involuntary surprise and was conscious of a disagreeable sensation along the course of his veins this man who had approached the door with noiseless steps might have been young or might have been old he was of unusual height with narrow shoulders short body and disproportionate length of limb his face an elongated oval was of as smooth surface as that of a woman and of the shape and pale even colour of an egg the enormous forehead the eyes small and narrow set wide apart and obliquely the flattened nose the straight wide almost lipless mouth combined with an expression of crafty complacence to give the man a singularly alien semblance as he stood he smiled slowly a smile which emphasized both the craftiness and the complacency of his expression and remarked in a high thin voice just going doctor make yourself at home here that's all right he carried a rather large morocco-bound notebook in one hand and a silver pencil case in the other his hands were extremely delicate and white with sinuous flexible fingers of such phenomenal length as to suggest an extra simian joint they conveyed to the young clergyman a sense of expressing the same craft as the face and a yet more palpable cruelty the unpleasant impression became more pronounced for seeing the hands young nichols involuntarily shivered probably this fact was not noticed by the newcomer but having thus spoken and smiling one more chilling smile he passed on to the other end of the hall eyes rather than voice asked in astonishment who is that oliver ingram the senator's son was the elder clergyman's reply as they left the library together the son of his first wife dr harvey was mrs ingram's pastor incredible 
cried the other under his breath i never saw him never heard of his existence the other shook his head with gravely troubled look he is only here when it becomes impossible to keep him elsewhere is he insane imbecile what is he not the first not the second i cannot answer the third question End of chapter 9